Florida has numerous cases of murder victims whose identities have yet to be found. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office has around 360 unsolved homicides dating back to 1962. These are those stories. Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we talk to law enforcement officers, detectives, and scientists about open homicide cases here at the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. My name is Anthony Rodriguez. And I'm Fatima Simichi. Now, we want to go over the steps of how homicides are investigated. Initially, when a homicide detective is assigned a case, one of the key elements to starting that investigation is to identify who the victim is. We can notify family, get information from friends, search records, and even find out where they were last. All these elements and data points put together can help solve cases. Now, imagine if you didn't have that first piece of the puzzle. Cases where you can't identify who the victim is. We have over 50 of those cases here in Palm Beach County. And the man who is tasked to solve all of those cases is here with us today. He is from the cold case unit. You know him as Detective John Cogburn. Thank you for having me here. Thank Welcome. you. Now, we got a premise to the audience that some of the stuff that you're going to see here today is of graphic nature. We're going to talk about death, uh, murders. We might even show some pictures uh, and video of uh, crime scenes and even some uh, skeletal remains. So please, it's not for everybody. Uh, viewer discretion advised trigger warning, all of that. Now back to Detective Cogburn. Uh, thank you again for being here today. The last time uh, you were here, we talked about the tattooed stranger, the case. Correct. Yes, we did. And this was a case of uh, a young Hispanic male who was found floating in a canal in one of our Western district areas. Yes. Now, you tell me that this week you have a file that you've been working on, a case that is on the top of your very large pile of cases uh, about a woman. Uh, can you tell us about that case? Absolutely. We're going to take everybody back in time on this one. Okay, so we're going to travel back to 1982. And uh, thinking about uh, 1982 in Palm Beach County, uh, the population was probably hovering around just over 700,000 people. Now in Palm Beach County today in 2022, we probably have approaching 1.5 million plus the uh, tourists that are down mm-hmm. and then streaming. So, but I'm gonna take you back to 1982. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back to, uh, the day was Sunday and it was uh, December the 19th of 1982. Mm. And a real estate agent was surveying some property, um, checking out the property, researching it, where she was able to come across some human remains. So she basically was surveying the property and found skeletal remains and of course law enforcement responded to that scene Mm. so as we get there um in in addition to law enforcement we also have the medical examiner's office and sometimes back then the state attorney's office would also respond out there to these scenes so um the first steps are putting the puzzles together Mm -hmm. so we have skeletal remains that are somewhat scattered about in this area um the area was what you could kind of classify as the western regions of Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. So in those areas, there uh, the property lines could go from 10 acres and beyond. So everyone's not really on top of each other out there. 
So it's there's I would, a lot of space between everybody. Yes, it's it's sparsely populated. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people out there at the time, but the people that live there would know who belongs and who doesn't. Mm. Take some knowledge to know and have an understanding of the geographics of the area. The woman was found kind of on a little side road that led into a field. Mm -hmm. So um, they either decided to just take that little cutoff really quickly to dispose of the remains, mm -hmm. or they may have known the area and been familiar with it to try and conceal the body where they concealed the body. Was she buried or was she just scattered about? She was on the surface, surface. But, but she was also had been there for some time. So some of the remains were scattered about. Mm. They had a main portion where she was found on the road, but her other remains were kind of scattered about in that general area. Mm -hmm. I see. The public will be able to see some of our PowerPoint slides and presentations on the exact locations of it and everything like that, collecting all of this evidence. Our goal is to ID the victim. That's where the investigation begins. So that's where these things can be very challenging because there's times where the environment, things disappear, things degrade, and um, everything from animal activity to the Florida sun and environment can just take everything and make it disappear. They were skeletal, so they weren't, it wasn't a fresh, correct. Uh, it, it, you know, it had been there for some time. Yes, that's correct. Do we know exactly how long had she been there? They give some rough estimates as, as, as to how long she's been there. I would say that, uh, you know, generally, these are estimates and it's the scene conditions, the bones and all these other things. The investigators at the scene estimated around six to eight weeks. We're looking at the December mm -hmm. discovery, so we're thinking walking back until that September area, somewhere around mm -hmm. there where she was placed there. In that short amount of time, relatively, uh, a body can decompose and just become skeletal remains. It's, yes. So. Basically, upon death, the body begins decomposition, and that's going to begin in the areas where bacteria is. So mm -hmm. the decomposition process is going to begin in the body and the stomach, where all the bacteria is and stuff like that. Heat, especially here in Florida, is going to accelerate things mm -hmm. even more. Yeah. Flies that you see around maybe a dead animal on the roadway or something like that, the black blow flies are immediately attracted mm -hmm. upon death. So uh, we have seen cases where the, the black blow flies are there pretty much immediately. They're laying eggs on the remains to start the process. Wow. Nature's process. Event. Without getting too graphic, what was found when you guys got there? Well, some of her remains were found in jeans that were along the roadway. So some of those remains were still intact because of the jeans that she was wearing. Mm. And then her other remains above were kind of scattered about. Wow. So that's where the collection process goes into this painstakingly, you know, long, almost on your hands and knees going through everything to try to find these remains. So the, the people that are collecting, uh, you know, these, these items, uh, there are crime scene investigators. Correct. Um, and they obviously meticulously go through the entire field. They're going to just basically essentially map out a grid and they're just going to go down that grid. Then some grids can be a big field. Mm. Some grids can be a backyard. So either way, they're going to map out a nice grid for themselves so they know mm -hmm. exactly what directions are going north, south, east, and west. Sift through everything. We have sometimes where we're actually taking sand sifters and sifting through the sand wow. 
to find the remains. So what at all was found uh, with these remains? Is there anything that they discovered? Yeah, so we start going in, drilling into the details, right? So we talk about the jeans that she was wearing. She was wearing some jeans that were called You Are Free jeans. They were stamped with the little You Are Free mark. We know she had a 29-inch waist and a 32-inch inseam. And these jeans at the time, back then, were sold exclusively at Kmart. Mm. Um, what that means, there's a lot of Kmarts, but we knew something about her, what she was wearing. She also had some pretty unique jewelry that she was wearing. Jewelry. And I would say some of this jewelry was probably personalized jewelry versus a commercial sold mm. type thing. She had a, uh, like a master lock with a, uh, that uh, was a, the, the keypad lock was marked with a P216 number. In addition to this master lock, she had a very unique um, anchor that we would call like, like a mariner's anchor that had been mm. folded and twisted. And it was uh, uh, folded into a 180 degree twist. And in the center, um, we believe basically it was foreign made. So back then the detectives had jewelers take a look and assess the jewelry and they found that this was probably personalized jewelry made somewhere else. Mm. They couldn't give you an origin, but they felt it was foreign made at the time. Interesting. So it could have happened anywhere beyond our borders mm. for that for that Mariner's jewel. She was also wearing a, a unique watch. It was called a Benrus, B-E-N-R-U-S watch. Um, the, she had an expansion band on it and um, it was a stainless steel watch. Mm. Um, in addition to her watch, she had a, a handcrafted pinky ring that she was wearing um, as well. So this ring could have been purchased anywhere from an, at a arts and crafts little mm. booth, or it could have been made specifically for her somewhere. Anything particularly valuable? Yeah, there was also, she also had a, what we would believe would be, uh, she had two fairly valuable rings. She had a 10 karat setting of marquee cut garnets. Mm. In addition to the garnets, she also had a 40 point diamond with uh, they said 14 karat white gold setting. So this could. So she had a diamond ring. So you can interpret that in a few different areas. Mm -hmm. So you could say, was she engaged? Was she married? Um, was it an heirloom? Mm. But either way, the characteristics of the ring tell us that it was probably some kind of engagement ring of sorts mm -hmm. or wedding band. Mm -hmm. um, so these are the little items that kind of just give us nuggets of information to kind of start putting together who this person is, what. Are they male? Are they female? Mm -hmm. Short, tall, slender, big, whatever. Mm -hmm. So all of these things start coming into play. We knew her bra size. We found out her bra size. She had a bra there. was a 34B. Um, there was no manufacturer's name attached to the bra at the time. Um, we know that uh, she had somewhat of poor dental health, mm -hmm. but it had been taken care of. Um, based on an evaluation of the dental and everything like that, they can give us some ideas as to where these dental workings are done. Could they be foreign? Could they be local? Things of that nature. The, of course, the bra size is going to give us some kind of stature on her and things of that nature. So after we start drilling down the information that we have of the physical evidence at the scenes, we heavily depend on information from our anthropologists who are going to study the bones. So the anthropologist is going to tell us about wound and trauma, mm -hmm. if there's any, to the remains. So um, we depend on them heavily at that point, especially when we just have skeletal remains 
and maybe limited items of clothing mm. to pursue on. So from there, after that, we can start getting some kind of idea of who this person was based on that physical evidence. So back then we knew she was probably of white Euro, um, European American ancestry, uh, social economic middle class based on her rings, the way she cared for herself. Mm. Um, um, she wore pink frosted nail polish on her hands. So she took care of herself. Yeah. Took care of herself. They said uh, she was a possible smoker. She possibly smoked. Um, she had an upper protruding jaw. They estimated her age range between 25 and 40 years old, and that she was a height from 5'1 to 5'5", five five, as mm -hmm. far as height goes. Brown, about collar length, long hair. Um, and they believed, based on the anthropology, looking at her hips and everything like that, that she had possibly two or more children. So she So she was a mother. Correct. And uh, the death, she died by, she was basically taken out there, either executed there at the scene or shot and killed somewhere else and transported there. Wow. So she was shot. Do we know where she was shot in the body? Yeah, she was shot in the head. Oh, wow. Point blank. Correct. So she was either there or somewhere else, but she was taken there to, to, to place her body there. And... Uh, was there, other than the jeans, was there any other piece of evidence that they found uh, concerning her clothing? Yeah, she was wearing a shirt that was very tattered and just degraded. And we looked as much as we could and researched, and we found that it was a, it had a sun, almost like a depiction of a sun, image of a sun. And it looked like it said Fort Lauderdale 1980 at the bottom, mm. recreating what that shirt image was. Right. So, I mean, obviously, that just gives us ties to Florida, Fort Lauderdale, things of that nature. But her jewelry is somewhat unique, I would say. Um, the characteristics of it being personalized, if this was a family member, friend, neighbor, or someone, you would probably see them with that jewelry on mm. routinely, and you'll be able to pick them out that it's Aunt Mary or your neighbor Susan's jewelry or something. And the jewelry was on her at the time. So And uh, so with the, the, the most interesting part about the jewelry, I think, is the, the wedding ring uh, or, or, you know, the, the diamond ring, right. uh, which could indicate that she was probably engaged or married. Or, um, and then the, the necklace. The necklace was particularly interesting because it also had a key with it, right? Correct. It had a padlock key for something. Now, that could mean anything. But I would say, especially with her jewelry, when you look at we talk about the wedding band, we can make assumptions and have a hypothesis as to, okay, was she married or not? She possibly bore children. Right. So with that in mind, could she have been divorced Could or whatever? But there was obviously at some point in her life a relationship that she was wearing a ring for. Right. You know, we just can't specifically define it. And then there's other supporting elements, mm -hmm. like the fact that she had children. Mm -hmm. that would support that condition that she was possibly married at the time or engaged. She was obviously part of a family. Right. Um, and none of this ever traced back to any missing people back then? Right. So what happens from an investigative standpoint, what we do now um, versus then was that they would take the remains back then in the 1980s and they would enter information about the dental, the teeth, mm. and the specific items that were found into a computer database that would compare and search each other. Now we're in the realm of DNA and that era. So with DNA in mind, what we've been able to do is take a sample of her DNA and put it into the unidentified remains database, which searches 
throughout the country mm. to try to get a link and an association with other others. So we have her DNA that's been circulating in the system for well over a decade since it started. And uh, we haven't had any associations or hits. So now that's why we're bringing out these cases. Like you mentioned before, the uniqueness of the jewelry, her physical characteristics that we can put together to show may trigger a memory. Mm -hmm. So that's why I can, I can, it highlights the purpose now of this whole podcast and why we put the lead together. I think time turns down the volume of interest and it also turns down the volume of, of remembering the memories. Right. So time is just wearing away memories. It's wearing away interest. And it's now time for us to bring these back to life. Right. So uh, we're very fortunate that the sheriff is opening up these files. And I think uh, in the future, you'll see more of these. This isn't just the first one, but I think in itself, what we're trying to do is bring this case back to life, give it some kind of traction. Mm -hmm. And the best traction is going to be to get this out on the internet. Let them see what we see. Let them know what we know. We will unfortunately hold back some specific details that we have, but we will give you probably more than you've seen in the bulletins. So what I'm saying now is what you're going to see in these future casts, podcasts and everything, you're going to see what's beyond a bulletin. You're right. going to see details that you probably have not seen in other investigations. And these are all active cases that mm -hmm. are trying to be worked. Our goal in mind is to identify this woman beyond the forensics that we've tried to go use to identify her. Now right. it's time to put it out to the public and see what, what kind of information we can garner from them. You can't do this in a press conference. Uh, you know, we, we're really giving everybody everything that we have in order to solve these cases. And inclusive, uh, what we did was we created a Facebook group called the Palm Beach Cold Cases. Correct. And everybody from the audience can follow us there. And we dump all of the images, all of the the case file onto that platform where uh, anybody can go through and, and uh, look at the renderings and look at the, the pieces of clothing that we saw uh, and the jeans and the, the jewelry. And then we ask... And specifically for this podcast, we asked the audience if they can chime in with any questions that they have about that so that we can address it here at the podcast. And we have two questions from the audience. Certainly. Uh, Libby Barr, she says she wants to know if they have identified where the jewelry came from. Is there any inscriptions or is there any way to find out which manufacturer made these pieces and where they were sold? Yeah. So, so for her jewelry, probably the only watch that would be commercial would have been her watch. Mm -hmm. So as far as jewelry goes, the other the other items of jewelry were pretty unique to her, and I would say were considered personalized. Mm -hmm. So there was no um, chain or a kind of breadcrumb trail for the jewelry other than the the watch. All right. So we have Lisa Bonnell. She says, "Do you think someone that knows her did this? A random person would have taken the jewelry." Maybe so. Maybe not. Um, if you look at statistics, I know the FBI likes to play around with statistics, and what they've done is they, they've looked at victims of crimes, specifically homicides, and the stranger on victim is probably lower the, on the lower end of the threshold. Mm -hmm. When you talk about uh, people that personally knew them and then you get into associations where they knew them by nickname or they knew the store clerk from familiarization um, face and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you start getting into the 70 and 80 percentiles of that person 
intimately knew him some way. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if she's trying to ask, do you think a stranger did this? Obviously, whoever did it had no value, you know, concentrated on the jewelry. There was nothing favorable for them to take it. And if you look at the characteristics of the scene, it wasn't like they'd really put forth a lot of effort to conceal her. Mm -hmm. So there was no shallow grave. There Mm -hmm. was no, she wasn't covered with brush or anything like that. It it was almost like she was hastingly just placed there. Well, you're saying if if it was someone that did knew her, they would have removed these items. Maybe so. I mean, a lot of times the reason people are taking bodies somewhere to put them away at a distance is to distance them from them. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest motives for them to take and transport someone somewhere is to distance it from them. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get into the area of uh, was it a robbery, you know what I mean? I mean, I think you have to look at, you basically look at this, hey, she was fully clothed. She had all of her jewelry on as if she had been walking about doing her everyday routine, and somehow this happened. Mm. Um, we will probably get more information once we know who she is, and we can start diving into her background. But for right now, we can only kind of come up with a lot of different hypotheses, mm-hmm. you know, but the answers will start coming once we find out who she is. So what's next on the case? So what's next on the case is going to be ancestry. So we're going to take her... Uh, her DNA and we're going to dive into her ancestry and we're going to see what kind of luck we come up with that. Mm. So that'll be in the future. So we're waiting on some return information on that, but that is actively being worked on right now. Going back to the fact that she was a mother, because I'm a mother and I cannot imagine my children not looking for me, you know? Yes. And this has been 30 years now. Yes. So there has to be someone out there that maybe lost a mother when they were kids. Sure. If they have even the smallest memory, what should they do? Well, what they can do is if, if, if they're missing, if anyone is missing a relative or someone that's close to them, whether it be a mother, son, daughter, whoever, whatever dynamic it is, you can, you can contact basically law enforcement if that person has not been declared as a missing person. So it would start with if you think that a family member of yours is truly missing and has just fallen off the grid for many years and has disappeared, you can report them as a missing person. So wherever that person was last seen is where the investigation will begin. Even it's, if it's been years? If it, even if it's been years. If, uh, if you can establish and contact law enforcement and show that someone has literally just disappeared and is missing, um, then you can initiate a missing persons report. Now, what the missing persons report does is require certain things over time periods where we have to get dental records and we have to get DNA. That's where the dental records and DNA start getting entered into databases that can be searched. And if anybody has any direct information about this case, we ask everyone to uh, call us directly or you can remain anonymously uh, through one 800 uh, 458 tips and that's our crime stoppers all we need is that little bit of information to get this investigation going right we appreciate you being here today detective coburn uh we know that you're overwhelmed so we appreciate every minute that you give us so that we can talk about this case to the public thanks guys thank you very much for having me